Hey, this is Damien Blinkinsop with The Quantified Body. This is the show where we look at cutting edge tools and tactics to improve our body's health, performance, and longevity. And we do this with a quantified perspective, always looking for the data, such as biomarkers for real evidence. We have guests that range from academic researchers to experts in the biomarkers and the tools and the tactics to real life experimenters who have done their own biohacking experiments and track the results. If you're interested in a particular guest or a topic being on the show, call out to me at biohacks on Twitter. That is at B-I-O-H-A-C-K-S on Twitter and let me know. Today's topic is looking at the biomarkers of aging and longevity. So we're looking at biomarkers which can help us understand our not our chronological age, but our biological age and basically how close we are to dying which is like a horrifying thing. What we're gonna talk about today is gonna show us our risk of dying, how long we're going to live. It'll show us increased risks of premature aging and longevity so that we can look at them and counteract them before something bad does happen. It's probably a pretty good thing to know about. I think one of the important things here is that understanding our status, our biological age, if you want to uh, call it that, will give us more motivation to make the changes that we need to. If you look at a lot of the studies and a lot of and a lot of the medicine in practice, one of the big things that they talk about is patient compliance. It's com- it's very difficult to get patients to comply with the recommendations they've been given. For instance, after a heart attack or when there's an increased heart attack risk and so on. I believe that having clear information, like biomarkers that give us clear feedback, and we'll discuss that today, can really help us to push us to that level of motivation we need to make the changes we need to to assure we meet our health goals, our performance goals, whatever it is, living longer. And of course then, we're living in this world today where there's so many tools and tactics, diets and everything around us, which is pretty confusing. So if we are trying to do the best thing for ourselves, but it's actually not working, and that may be for an individual reason because our biology is different to other people, or it could be just because we're we're following something that is assumed to be good and it's not necessarily good. And there's a lot of that stuff out there today. So doing tests like these can hopefully give us feedback to better understand if our lifestyle, what we're doing is actually helping us. And at times we'll have to reconsider that. Now that's the nature of the game right now. Today's guest is Jill Blander, PhD. He's the founder, president, and chief scientific officer of Inside Tracker, which is a blood lab to consumer service with additional recommendations behind that. So what happens is you go into the lab, you get your blood markers, and then when you get your results, they also have recommendations based on what those values are coming from the research and so on. And this lab has been around since 2009. That's when the idea first came around. So it's been six years And Jill himself has 18 years of experience in systems biology, computational biology, aging, metabolism, and caloric restriction research. He previously worked at MIT, the Wellsman Institute, and several systems biology, computational biology companies. So he's done a lot of biotech and other things in the area of labs and aging. Specifically, I asked him to come on the show because his company, Inside Tracker, has just brought out a new panel called Inner Age. And they're looking, they've done all this research on the biomarkers of aging and what we can actually get out of today's blood labs. And they've put those into one panel also backed up with recommendations, as I said, afterwards. So we'll be talking about that today, how they select these biomarkers, why they're interesting, what we can do with them. As usual, to get a summarized list of all the biomarkers, the labs, the tools and tactics we talk about today in an easy to understand list and the transcript and links to Jill, his company, and everything else we talk about in the show, 
go to thequantifiedbody.net forward slash episodes. If you want to get all of that in your email inbox, go to thequantifiedbody.net forward slash newsletter and you can get it there. The Quantified Body. New technologies are bringing us more and better data on our bodies every day. This data promises to help us make better decisions for better health, higher performance, less disease, and greater longevity. In the Quantified Body, we explore this promise to find out where it is creating real-world results, improving bodies, and improving lives. Hi, Gil. Thank you so much for joining us today on the podcast. Thank you so much for inviting me. It's a great pleasure, and I already... I uh, listened to a few of uh, your uh, guests and uh, I really appreciate it because the quality is very good. Thank you. Well, thank you. That's a, that's a great compliment coming from you. As we're going to see, you've been pretty busy um, yourself doing good stuff. So could you share first why you got involved with your interest area? What is the story about why you do what you do at Inside Tracker today? Yeah, so uh, it's a great question first and uh, apparently everyone is asking me this question. So uh, my scientific journey started at the age of 12, when one of my closest relatives passed away, mm. uh, triggering my thirst my, uh, and the quest for knowledge and how our body age. So, so basically, at that time, I decided that instead of uh, being a physician or physicist, what I wanted to do, I uh, decided to become a biologist. And the reason for that is that uh, uh, one of my relatives passed away. And I started to realize that I'm not immortal anymore. And I realized that uh, one day I will, uh, I will be gone. Yeah. And I wanted to live forever. I wanted to stop the flow. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to try to delay the aging-related diseases. So that's basically uh, uh, pushed me to become a scientist and to focus and have my uh, lifetime goal in aging research. So uh, fast forward a few years, I decided to study biology, graduated from Tel Aviv University with an undergrad in biology, a PhD from the Weizmann Institute of Science studying aging. And then I came here to MIT, here in uh, Cambridge, Massachusetts, and I uh, joined the best lab that's studying aging in the world. I studied aging there for five years, uh, published a lot of interesting papers, did a, a, a very cool research. But uh, very early when I arrived here to Cambridge, I started to be exposed to what we call the Kendall Square uh, environment. A lot of startups, there are uh, hundreds of startups in the biotech pharmaceutical and hundreds of startups in the high tech. And I started to be exposed to them. I started uh, to talk with uh, a lot of founders. I started to do some partnership with them. And I very soon realized that uh, I will uh, contribute much more to humanity if I will start my own company, then to be a professor in the academia that they publish a paper once a year and maybe five people will read the paper. So I realized that uh, uh, that should be my uh, next step. Even so that I realized that it took me some time because I really liked the work in the lab and I did a, a very cool experiment. So after five years at MIT, I moved MIT, I left MIT and uh, joined a couple of uh, biotech company and work them just in order to learn and understand what is uh, uh, the industry. And also, I really wanted to learn more about system biology. So I spent a couple of years there. And then uh, uh, during that time, I uh, uh, was exposed to uh, two other uh, PhDs, scientists, uh, that were uh, really intrigued by uh, the aging process as well, but also were trying to 
change the equation between healthcare and basically that the healthcare is taking care of the sick and not of the healthy. And we came at that time with the uh, basic of uh, inside tracker. And the basic is very simple. First of all, all of us are a machine. And like a machine, we need to take care of ourselves. And today we are not taking care of ourselves. And if you look at that, you go to the physician mainly when the machine or us is break down. When we are breaking down, then we go to the physician. So we decided to find a way to have like every uh, once in a while to, to have a, a checkout, checkup, that we basically can check ourselves, find what uh, is uh, not completely optimized with ourselves, then intervene, and then have our body good for a few more uh, months. And I really like the analogy of the car. So every 5,000 miles, uh, you take the car to the technician. The technician plug a computer into the car. The computer telling the technician exactly what should he do in order to make the car good for another 5,000 miles. Should he replace oil, oil filter, and so on and so forth. The technician do that, and then the car is good for another 5,000 miles. There is a lot of research that show that if uh, that since the time that uh, this routine schedule of maintenance for the car in, uh, introduced in the 80s, uh, the lifespan of the car increased from around 100,000 miles on average to around 200,000 miles on average. So what we said, let's do something similar to us. We cannot obviously plug a computer into our body, but we can plug a needle into our vein and extract the liquid gold that we have in our vein that called the blood. Then when we uh, extract the blood, we can look at the biomarker that show where are you staying. And based on that, you can uh, find optimal zone for each biomarker. And I can give you an example. Let's look at a, a, the most boring maybe biomarker that you know, which is glucose. For all of us, the optimal zone is between 65 to 99. Doesn't matter if you are male, female, young, old, Olympian or couch potato, um, someone that uh, uh, obese or someone that is uh, 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 with a BMI of less than uh, 15. All of us is uh, uh, 65 to 99. We said that that's wrong. Let's find an optimal zone for each of us based on your age, gender, ethnicity, and athletic activity and, uh, and other criteria. Let's find an optimal zone that is much narrower and then find whether you are in your optimal zone above or below. If you are not in your optimal zone, we can subscribe to you an intervention that include food, supplement, exercise, lifestyle changes that basically will help you to uh, bring yourself to the optimal zone. And when you will bring yourself to the optimal zone, there is a good chance that you will optimize your health, your performance, and hopefully your longevity. So that's basically the uh, background of uh, Inside Tracker. I just want to say that uh, all of our recommendations, the zones, everything is extracted from peer-reviewed scientific literature. We have a team of scientists that do that. So we are looking at it very seriously and taking it very seriously. Great. What are the most common use cases you have today? You mentioned a few different things like athletes might be. So what are your clients today? What are they mostly using it for? So we have a three main segment of client, and we call them the train, the gain, and the pain. Okay. The train is, as you said, is an athlete, someone that wants to shave two minutes of his marathon time, someone that wants to uh, play at the fourth quarter, uh, someone that wants to basically improve his athletic performance. The gain is an interesting uh, segment. Are people that more like me, 
that are, are trying to reach to their 40s, trying to still uh, stay in their uh, peak performance, try to come in the afternoon and have uh, uh, enough energy and enough patience to play with their kids. People that are trying to perform better in their work, so a lot of executives, uh, those are the gain population. And the pain are people that are sick. Currently, we are uh, mainly trying to serve the train and the gain because we feel like the pain, which uh, are sick, have already someone taking care of them, that's the physician, and we think that the physician is doing a good job. And we also don't want to get into all the regulation there. When you're sick, there is more regulation. And we are trying to stay with, a, a, to have a proof of concept or to show to the train and the gain that we can help them a lot. And maybe in the future, we'll go also for the pain. But currently, uh, the main uh, customer segment that we are trying to approach are the train and the gain. Great, great. Thank you very much for that. So... When you, you just created this new panel, which is called Inner Age, and it's specifically targeted at aging, whereas the rest of your platform, as I understand, is a bit more general. When you were looking for at the criteria for selection of biomarkers, how did you go about that? What kind of criteria were you looking for in, in order to, to select the biomarkers that you've put into that panel? So, so first of all, we build a team of scientists, and actually we recruited a new scientist, and we work with our scientific advisory board. Yep. And I want to mention that uh, two of those uh, uh, scientific advisors that we have, one of them is uh, Professor Lenny Garente from MIT, which considered to be the father of the new aging uh, research uh, era, is uh, by far considered to be the initiator of the aging research uh, in the world and considered to be one of the five top researchers of uh, aging in the world. Uh, another uh, a scientist or professor is Professor David Sinclair from uh, Harvard Medical School. He actually has done his uh, postdoc at the lab of Lenny Garente. Now, he is also considered to be one of the leaders of aging research. He is also extremely involved in the biotech uh, community. He started a lot of companies. And one of them called Sirteris, which uh, used what they call a resveratrol, which I assume that you heard, which is a, a small molecule that uh, is in high concentration in red wine and have been shown in a lot of studies to increase uh, uh, longevity. Uh, was sold to a big pharmaceutical company a few years ago for $720 million. So both David Sinclair and Lenny Garante help us uh, to do that. But uh, as to uh, your question, we basically spent almost two years uh, looking at uh, hundreds of biomarkers and trying to see what is the effect of those biomarkers on aging or longevity. And uh, basically, we're trying to pinpoint, looking at the scientific publication, which are the five that are the mostly related to uh, longevity. So just to take a step back, when you're talking about longevity and aging, are we referring to mortality here versus some people when they think about aging, they're thinking about their skin, how they look and things like that. Are we talking about longevity in terms of how long we're going to live or is it other aspects also? Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a good question. And the answer is yes. Basically... And I can give you again the example of uh, glucose, which is uh, one of the markers that we have in the inner age. Um, so we look at the, uh, at the data and we found a lot of data that show, not surprisingly, that when your glucose is high, you might compromise your longevity. But we were looking for a better data. And we found it in the scientific publication that was published based on the Frenningham Heart Study. Yeah. I don't know if you heard about of it. Course, yeah. It's basically a, a study that was done here in Massachusetts 
small uh, town next to Boston. Basically, they follow up the population of this town for tens of years and measure some biomarkers. What they found is that there is a strong correlation for the level of glucose at a certain age and your final longevity. And let me give you an example. If you're, you are 40 years old or 35 years old, and your glucose today is a 70, fasting blood glucose, you have a good chance to reach to your 90s. If your glucose is a bit higher, let's say 80, you have a better chance to live to your 80s. And if your glucose is in the 90s, you have a better chance to live to your 70. But if it's a 100 plus, you have a better chance to live only to your 60s. So basically, based on that, we took the data, we compiled it, and then you can basically uh, take a person and say, oh, yeah, this person is ages 40, his glucose is X. So basically, based on the glucose, his a, a longevity, the predicted longevity will be 80. Now he is a, a, a now only a, a 40, so we have, just by the glucose, 40 more years to live. Okay? Now we're looking at a few other markers, so each of them show us what is the effect. Then we compile it all together using an algorithm, and that's what we show you as the inner age. And we show it to you in comparison to your chronological age, meaning what is your age today. So it's an estimate of how old you are, an estimate of your longevity based on a, like an average person. So the trend line I guess you're showing is chronological age against this biological age and it's showing it against say an eight, an average 80 year old or if you're doing better than the average maybe you're going to live to 100 or yeah so yeah so it's uh, use the average but it's also I, I want to say that it show what is happening with you today it doesn't say and we're not trying to say that if you're a, a, let's say that you are a 40 years old male and your inner age is 30 we are not trying to claim that you live 10 more years than what you're supposed to or, than the average what we are saying, that if you will continue to stay like that, you have a chance to uh, live 10 years less or 10 years more. So that's a very important point. What is also very important, that's for each of those biomarkers, we have an intervention that you can take in order to optimize your inner age. And uh, it's very important for us to take markers that you can intervene. For example, uh, we are not taking a, a marker of a, a disease like a, a BRCA1, or uh, other markers that show whether you have cancer or not, which, and you cannot do any intervention for that. Right. We don't have any ideas about what exact tool we could use to change the fact that, apart from you know, having surgery and having your breast removed in that case, right? but there's no specific intervention apart from that you have linked to those. So you stick to things that are actionable, which is great. That's what we like to hear on this show. They are actionable. And uh, uh, more than that, there are simple interventions. So it's a food, supplement, exercise, lifestyle changes. So similar to Inside Tracker, but uh, a bit more simple. And the simplicity comes with the next feature that we have in Inner Age, which we call focus foods. So focus foods are basically a nutrient-heavy foods that will help you to optimize all the biomarkers that related to Inner Age that are not optimized for you. So basically, focus food are uh, foods that are uh, personalized just for you based on the level of the biomarkers that you have, and they will help you to optimize all the biomarkers that are not optimized just for you. Those foods, you don't need to change uh, completely your uh, uh, routine. What you need to do is uh, uh, pick a couple of them and start to integrate them into your diet. So for example, if you need to consume more oatmeal, eat it every day. 
that's it. You don't need to, uh, to change completely your behavior. Or if you need to eat a strawberry, just try to integrate strawberry. Don't change all your diet. So what we're trying to do here is very simple because, as you know, it's very hard for us to change our diet completely. You have a lot of uh, influence on your diet. You are at home or at the office. You are commuting. You are traveling. It's not easy. But when you have only a few food items that you need to incorporate all the time, it's much easier to do that. Great. Could you give us an example for the, you gave us a blood glucose example. What kind of recommendations would the tool make? Like I'm 40 years old and my blood sugar is currently at 95. My fasting blood sugar, I guess we're talking about. Yeah. Um, so uh, first of all is a, a nutrition. To optimize your a, a blood glucose, it's very important to consume foods that are rich in fiber because the fiber basically help us help our body to absorb the glucose and then the level of the uh, fasting blood glucose decrease and that have been shown actually to increase your longevity. So one thing that it's very important to do is to try and consume more food that is in, in uh, fiber. Another thing that uh, it's good to do is to exercise more. Uh, again, depending on the person, if you are a professional athlete, don't exercise more. But if you are not, exercise more. Also maintain a healthy weight. There is a lot of uh, data that show in the literature that uh, if you are overweight, you tend to have a higher blood glucose. Um, so there are a lot of interventions like that, that uh, and each of our users receive the intervention based on his information. So if you have a high BMI or high, uh, you are heavy, you will receive the intervention of a uh, uh, lose weight. But if you are not, you won't receive it. Or if you are exercising five times a day, you won't receive a recommendation to exercise more. Uh, but if you are not exercising at all, you will receive it. So there are a lot of uh, intervention that are personalized and coming to you based on your uh, profile and based on what will be help you to, uh, to optimize yourself. I just want to add that we are also taking into consideration your dietary preferences. So you can tell us that you are on a paleo diet. You can tell us that you are a bachelor living in town and, uh, and don't know how to cook. You can tell us that you are uh, gluten-free. So we have a list of uh, a few tens of uh, dietary requirements that you just need to click. And then the algorithm will uh, provide to you the food that is good for you and will help you to optimize yourself. Great. So which other biomarkers have you looked at for the NIH panel? Are there or which biomarker are we looking at? Carbon? Which other ones have you included today? Okay, so uh, we discussed the glucose. We also added uh, vitamin uh, uh, D. We added the uh, uh, testosterone uh, for males. We added the uh, uh, CRP, which is a marker of inflammation, and ALT, which is a marker of uh, liver function. So vitamin D, you know, a lot of people talk about that today. So that's, that's quite common about the benefits to the immune system and so on. Uh, testosterone, I think, is not so obvious for a lot of people. So what's the issue with testosterone? Why is that important when it comes to aging for men? That's a, a, a great uh, question. And uh, what we have seen that, and I assume that you heard about it, that actually the level of testosterone is decreased by 1% to 2% every year when we are uh, getting old. Now, testosterone is important for our muscle tone. It's important for our sex drive. It's important for our mood. So it's very important to maintain a healthy testosterone in order to maintain a healthy longevity. And what you alluded in your question is, is testosterone is as important as a, a glucose? And my answer is definitely not. So each of the biomarkers that we included have its own uh, value or its own weight. 
So uh, if you ask me if you have a low testosterone and have a high glucose, what is more important to take care of, I would say definitely start with your uh, glucose and then move to the testosterone. Uh, but the testosterone is also very important and there is a lot of data in the scientific literature that show that. Yeah. Well, I believe there's a lot of um, research on strength and muscle. The, the higher the levels of muscle you have going on older in life, the, the better your longevity chances. Um, so that correlates also with uh, testosterone. I'd say in terms of testosterone, what kind of ranges are you looking at? Because, you know, obviously there's the lab ranges. We often talk about here, you have the lab corp range, for example, which isn't necessarily, and I imagine is probably not the same as the range you're looking at. So what kind of reference range are you looking to get people into? Yeah, so as I mentioned before, we have what we call the optimal range or optimal zone. And that's calculated exactly based on the papers, like I told you before, uh, looking at the population of uh, thousands or hundreds of people and see what is the level of testosterone in specific age. And then we can, uh, from that, uh, uh, come with an optimal zone based on your age, based on your uh, gender, obviously, because male and female are completely different, uh, also based on your uh, athletic activity. So basically those ranges coming based on all the demographic information and then we are uh, subscribing to you the optimal zone that is good for you. So basically your optimal zone might be completely different for a person uh, completely similar to you but in a, a different age or different ethnicity and so on. That's interesting. Do you look at the difference between someone who's doing endurance training versus like heavyweight training, the different approaches? Yes, we are extracting the information that we can from the peer-reviewed scientific literature for some of them, we have data, so we are doing that. For some other, we don't. So basically, we are trying to extract the most that we can. But I want to admit that we don't have everything because not everything is uh, appear or published in the scientific literature. In order to try to fill the holes of that, we are building our own database and we are mining the database and we have a lot of athletic active population that are doing either strengths or endurance. So we are uh, starting to extract information from there and then help our customers to uh, compare themselves more to their peers than compare to themselves to a, a couch potato that they're uh, doing nothing. Great, great. Yeah, right, I understand. So I'm, I'm guessing it's early stages in terms of mining the information from the client base. When do you expect to sort of bring the first bits of information from that and analysis to, to help improve the tool? Yeah, so we're actually doing that already. So we have a, what we call a benchmarking tool that's showing to you how do you stand comparing to uh, the Insight Tracker uh, community. So, for example, uh, we can see that a high percentage of our community have a, a low vitamin D, but you want to know whether you are, is it a, a 5%, is it 20%, is it 40%. So we are showing and sharing it with our uh, community. And they like it a lot because uh, sometimes people are saying, oh, I have low D, but it's 50% of the population. It's not so bad. So some people like to, to see it just to, to extend, oh, I'm everyone having this issue, so I'm not... Uh, uh, right, right, right. It's not so bad. I'm not going to die tomorrow. So are you able to tunnel down and, and say like, oh, it's athletes like me. So say I put into a system that I'm an athlete and I'm eating paleo. Would it be able to position me compared to that population? Or is it early stages for that still? Yeah, so we are doing it uh, currently just for a, a specific customers that uh, we are basically tailoring it for them. So we have what we call an Inside Tracker Pro, uh, which we are working with some uh, professional athletes, teams, some uh, uh, gym chains and other. 
And for them, we are doing a, what we call a tailoring solution for them. But we don't supply that yet for the person that come to our website. We're working on that and we hope to have it soon. Great. In terms of the number of users you need to make this really useful, how many users do you have today? And how many would you think would be important to have? And really make lots of statistical analysis. And I guess you have ideas about doing data mining and more, you know, a lot more exciting and intricate things. So we have uh, uh, many thousands of users. Obviously, I cannot expose the number. Sure. I have a statistician in the staff that help us to analyze and uh, to evaluate uh, each of them. So basically, we are doing a rigorous uh, scientific work and statistic work. And based on that, we decide whether we have enough power to uh, share it with our uh, users. Great, great. Thank you. In terms of the benchmarks you're using, we've already discussed they're different to the lab reference ranges. So when I go into the system, would it also show me, for instance, the normal reference ranges and how yours are different? Or will people just get your reference ranges so that they can compare, say, say they've had tests outside of your system in other places before when they've been given other numbers? Yeah, so it's, it's a good question. We are showing base, uh, what we call the normal and out of normal. Mm-hmm. And then we are showing the optimal. For some biomarkers, we are showing even more uh, ranges. Like I can give you an example of a testosterone, uh, sorry, cholesterol. Mm-hmm. So there is a, a optimal, then you have a normal, then you have a near normal, you have a high, and you have very high. So uh, sometimes it's more complex than just the optimal, normal, and the out of normal. But in most of the biomarkers, it's, you see the optimal, which is our range, you see the normal, which is the range of the diagnostic companies, and then you see the out-of-normal, which is out of the diagnostic company. And most of the time, our uh, optimal range is consumed by the normal. So it's subset of the normal. Right, right. I understand. So out-of-normal range means the kind of standard labs at LabCorp or based on the research and so on. Thank you. So which other labs did you look at? Which other biomarkers did you look at which you decided not to include in your panel? In the inner age panel. In the inner age one, yes. Yeah. So one interesting biomarker is a, a cholesterol, uh, which uh, when we started to work on that, I was sure that cholesterol will be part of the panel. And I asked the scientists that worked on this uh, marker uh, after a couple of weeks that he's working on that, okay, show me the papers. And said, Gil, I cannot find any paper. So I told him, are you kidding me? Well, cholesterol, <laughs> you have statin and you have lipitor right, right. and like... A business of, uh, I don't know, $10 billion. <laughs> um, so I, I told him, you mm. know what, I will spend. I spent two, <laughs> two weeks on that, and I couldn't find anything. You could find a, a, a old papers, but all the new papers haven't been shown a strong correlation between cholesterol or LDL and the longevity. And uh, very interestingly, uh, exactly a year ago, the new guideline of the American Heart Association came and basically said that uh, uh, cholesterol is not as important as it used to be. Yeah, it, it is important if you are overweight, if you have uh, high inflammation, if you are not athletic active, if you have a family history of high cholesterol, if you have high blood pressure. But someone that is a, a, doesn't have a, most of those is not as important as it used to be. So that was a big surprise for me. But apparently we came to the same conclusion that the uh, other uh, agency or, uh, or all the scientific community came to. So that was a, a very big surprise. Yeah. Well, yeah, there's definitely some a movement, a lot of movement going around the uh, cholesterol markers. Uh, one interesting thing with that in relation to your testosterone is I found it's easier to get my testosterone raised when I have higher cholesterol. 
Um, so if you're, if, I think if you're on a lower cholesterol diet, it can be more difficult to raise your testosterone, which you've included in your panel. So it would be... Yeah, it, it, it makes a lot of sense because uh, uh, if you look at that, uh, testosterone is derivative of cholesterol. So basically, cholesterol helps to one of the building block of uh, uh, testosterone. So when you have low building block, it's harder to build the building. Actually, uh, a couple of weeks ago, another uh, uh, news about uh, cholesterol came and uh, what they are saying now that uh, cholesterol is not evil or uh, you, can, you can eat cholesterol as much as you want if you have a good metabolism and your body can metabolize the cholesterol. It's not like everyone needs to run away from cholesterol. Again, don't eat it like crazy. Don't eat uh, 50 eggs a day. But if you eat uh, one or two eggs a day, uh, you should be all set other than someone that have the, all the risk factors that we discussed. Right, right. You've included CRP, which yeah. the, the reason uh, everyone was focused on cholesterol was for heart disease. But it turns out that HSCRP is uh, a better marker, correct? Is that why you've included it? Yeah. Yeah, so CRP is not only for that. CRP is basically a marker of inflammation, and it's uh, related to cardiovascular diseases, but it's also related to a lot of uh, other diseases, including uh, cancer and even uh, diabetes. So uh, CRP, or it's, which is a marker of inflammation, inflammation is more and more uh, considered to be a big, big problem, not only for after athletic activity that your inflammation is increased, but also for uh, the average population. And uh, definitely inflammation is very important. Yeah. As you just mentioned, with athletic activity, the market would go up. So I guess your tool comes in pretty useful in this situation because you're looking at those different populations and saying what's normal for them. Exactly. It's normal that your inflammation will go up after athletic activity. For example, after marathon run, I would uh, suspect that your uh, uh, CRP will be high. But it's not normal that it will stay high for a week after that. So what we are doing, we are asking our users to test themselves at a certain time when they haven't been ran a marathon the day before or maybe haven't been uh, highly athletic active for a week before and do it also after a day of rest. And then if your inflammation is high, that's mean that uh, you have some issue. Could be that you're overexercise. Could be that you uh, have some uh, injury, uh, and it's help us and help our user to pinpoint what are the issues that they have. Great. Yes, it sounds like you put a lot of controls in there. Have you done the same thing with blood glucose? I'm just curious because we had someone else on the show before, Bob Troyer, um, quantified Bob, and he'd been tracking his fasting blood glucose daily. And um, I was quite surprised to see how much it went up and down um, most days, depending on like he was doing football practice in some evenings. So he had some correlation differences between the morning after the night he'd been in football practice and exercising versus a normal day when he hadn't been exercising the day before. Yeah, so uh, first of all, I know Bob very well. He's oh. a, a user of Insult Tracker and he's a, a very interesting person. Uh, and I completely agree with you. So a blood glucose, even fasting blood glucose, can change based on what have you done the night before. What we are preaching or trying to do with our user or trying to explain to everyone, it's not only one time point. And InstaTracker is not a tool that you should use once. You should use it and use it again and again and again. And then you're starting, when you use it again and again, you're starting to see where is your field. Is it running between 80 to 90? Is it running between 90 to 110? Or it's jumping all over? And usually it should be more or less flat. And you can also start to see the trend if during the aging process or when you are becoming older and older, 
you're, uh, you're starting to see a trend of increase of it. So I completely agree with what uh, Bob showed, but what we are trying to, to do here is not looking at one point, not even two point. In order to see trend, you, you need to add uh, at least a few uh, points. Great. How often do you recommend people uh, take the blood samples for, for the tool? Um, so we recommend that you will do it at least a couple of times a year. We have some users that are doing it four times a year. We have some athletes that are doing it even once a month in order to really keep them in uh, top performance. But uh, uh, the average uh, users that we have doing it uh, around twice a year. Okay. That sounds about similar to me, actually, or what I do. So I'm glad to hear that I'm roughly, roughly in... You are average. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm average in terms of how, how often I do these panels. In terms of... Uh, to learn more about inner age and any resources about aging that you've come across. First of all, where can we get information on inner age itself? Yeah, so everyone can come to our website is insidetracker.com and there we have a link to a, a page that we developed that show what is inner age, explanation about focus foods, explanation about the science, why those biomarkers, about the scientists that develop it. So we develop a lot of information for that because we know that it's a cutting edge and people need a lot of information to understand what we are doing. So we devoted a, a, a page with a lot of downloads that you can uh, read PDFs, offer PDF and spend maybe a full afternoon uh, learning about inner age. Great. So you mentioned the scientists you're working with on this tool. Is there anyone else you would recommend to get more information about aging or are there any references like books or particular presentations that you found useful in your research? Yeah, there are a lot of uh, good scientists that are uh, studying aging. I mentioned uh, Lenny Garant and David Sinclair. There are a few other uh, leading uh, scientists that are studying aging. One of them, which is a, a very interesting person, his name is Nir Barzilai, uh, located in uh, New York City and he's studying uh, mainly long-lived uh, humans and trying to see what are the changes in their genome and their, in their proteome comparing to the average uh, humans. So that's an interesting person to look at. Uh, another very interesting uh, uh, scientist, her name is Cynthia Kenyon, which is from uh, UCSF in San Francisco. Uh, and she is uh, focused mainly on the insulin pathway, which is very related to uh, glucose, insulin and glucose. Uh, she started with model organism as low as uh, worms. And now uh, she is also working on uh, other model organisms. So I think that uh, if you are looking at uh, or your audience will look at uh, those four, you can find a lot of very interesting information. Great. Thank you very much for that. And what would be the best ways to connect with you personally? Are you on Twitter, Facebook? Where do people connect to you? Where are you most active? Yeah, um, I actually like Twitter a lot. So I'm on Twitter and they can find me. It's uh, My handle is uh, gblander1 and they can find me there. And yeah, if someone have any question, they can, they can uh, contact us via the, our website. On our website, there is a contact us at insidetracker.com and I would be more than happy to talk with them. Great. Thank you, Gil. I'd just like to learn a little bit about you but, um, before you go. Are you using your, your tool every month or what, what are you doing in terms of tracking your biology at the moment? Uh, it's, it's a great question. So yeah, I'm, I'm using the tool at least uh, four times a year. There are some uh, months that I may be testing uh, every day. Uh, there was one day that I was testing myself like four times because I'm all the time trying to find the new tools. So we are using uh, home kits and different labs. And so uh -huh. um, yeah, often my, uh, uh, my uh, arm is uh, uh, completely uh, 
uh, dotted with a, a blood stain. Uh, but I, in, on top of that, I used to use other quantified self tools. I used in the past uh, the HRV from Itlet, which you interviewed uh, Simon, and I think that it's a, a great tool for uh, athletic athletic population. Currently, what I'm testing every day or all the time is my activity, uh, my weight, and trying to uh, use some other tools. So I'm, uh, uh, we are trying to develop now a new nutrition uh, tool for our users. So obviously, I'm using some uh, nutrition application, my fitness pal, a, a neutrino and others. So I'm uh, using a lot of different tools, but uh, in the day-to-day and in the last year, I measure my weight every day by uh, Weedings, which is a European company uh, which have a, a great wireless scale, and I'm measuring my activity using a, a Fitbit. Okay, great. But uh, I did uh, test it from the 23 Me to measure my genome. So I'm trying, uh, because I'm uh, working and I'm trying a lot of different tools. Yeah, it sounds like you've got involved with a lot of them. Is there any like, key insight? What have you learned about yourself um, so far? Is there is, like one important thing that you've learned from these activities? Yeah, I learned about myself that uh, data is the key for me. For example, when I'm measuring my weight every day, I'm measuring it here in the office. Uh, after that, I make a decision. Should I eat that or should I eat that? Because it shows me every day whether my weight went up or made down. So I succeed to maintain my weight more or less stable. Uh, when I've seen that my weight is too high, I use some tools to see if it's helped me to decrease it. For example, I did an experiment when my weight went up after the holidays. I started to log my uh, food in, uh, in my fitness pal, and I lost like, uh, I don't know, eight pounds in a, a week and a half. Uh, the issue is that you cannot continue with it forever because it's uh, very time-consuming and annoying to head your, uh, uh, what you ate every day. Um, so it's a, a good intervention, but it's for a short term. Um, so what we are trying to develop here in InstaTracker currently is find a tool that will help you to maintain your weight, maintain your biomarkers, ma- maintain your uh, activity, which is uh, more seamless. And it's not easy. We, are, uh, we have a team of uh, a scientists, exercise physiologists, coaches, nutritionists are trying to do that but it's definitely not easy yeah great well keep me updated if you're coming out with something interesting that, that would be great so one thing you did mention right there is which i think fig- i forget to mention is that i think inside tracker currently you use a uh, lab corporal quest yes to get people samples um so they basically run down to you give them some form requisition forms and the person runs down to lab corp and it gets sent to you um, but you said you're also using home kits. Is that something that's going to change in the future? Or is that just for you in experimentation? No, we have home kits. So if uh, someone wants to use the home kits, we have home kits. We're using home kits. The problem with the home kits is that we tested a lot of vendors. And most of them haven't had the precision of the measuring of the biomarkers to be good enough for us. Because we are giving you an optimal zone, you should have uh, the precision. So we came with two vendors that are precise enough. But the number of uh, biomarkers is uh, limited. So one of them, we have only five biomarkers. The other, we have seven. But we are still using it because some people are too lazy to go to the lab. Uh, Some others don't live in the U.S. And currently, the lab uh, availability is only in the U.S. So they can use our advanced home kit, and we are sending it all over the world. Uh, So because of those reasons, we are still using the... Uh, the home kits. We also hope that uh, in the future, the quality, the precision of those home kits will be better, and then we could use more and more biomarkers. And uh, I really hope, and I think that it will happen, that in the, I don't know, the next five years, 
we won't need to go to the laboratory. We can use our iPhone. Basically, we are saying that you can bleed on your iPhone, spit on your iPhone, <laughs> pee on your iPhone, and then, and then uh, receive a lot of information. So that's our goal. Yeah. Uh, I think that it will happen. And what is nice about InstaTracker is that we are a technology agnostic. We don't care where the information comes. What we care about is the quality of the information because we are running it via our analytic and they provide for you, uh, to you the ranges and the recommendation. So as soon as the technology will be good enough, we will uh, integrate it. Yeah. So I'm sure you're aware of Tyrannos. Yeah, yeah. What they're doing. I don't know if you know, well, it seems like their services are going to be, would you think those would be accurate enough for you when they get to market? Or do you think basically they're still focused on being in or out of normal range and it's not necessarily uh, sharp enough for you? Tyrannos is very, very interesting. What is interesting that you, instead of taking the blood from the vein, you take it from uh, the finger, like the home kits that we're using. What is also interesting is that the, the volume, because you're taking it from the tip of your finger, you cannot uh, extract a, a milliliter. You are talking about microliters. What is also interesting that their promise is that you can do it on time. So you will receive the information immediately, while when you do it at the lab, it takes a couple of days. When you do it with the home kit, it might take a couple of weeks. What is happening today with Theranos, at least today, and I don't know, I hope that it will improve, is that uh, even so that they have a machine that can do it on, uh, in place, they are sending it to a central lab. So basically, you go to one of the offices of, actually not offices, one of the clinic of uh, Walgreens, currently only in... I think it's Arizona. Arizona, only yeah. in Arizona. And there's one in San Francisco, I think, as well. There should be one in Palo Alto, yeah. Uh, so you prick your finger... They fill a small vial, and then they courier it to the lab. The lab do the analysis, and then you receive the result, I assume a day later. I'm not sure. I haven't tested it. So you lose the value of uh, the immediate response that they don't have. But uh, it sounds like that uh, at least what they claim is that is accurate, which is great. Also, another advantage that they have is the price. Uh, their price, uh, at least the sticker price, what they show on the website, is much lower than the price that uh, you will do it in uh, via your physician, which is a, a great uh, a value. But again, it's only available in Arizona. Uh, it's not immediate. Um, so I think that it's a, let's say, I think that it's still an intermediate solution. So it's nice progress, but it's not a, the end product. The end product will be uh, the iPhone. your iPhone. <laughs> yeah. Great. Yeah, thanks for the commentary on that, because it's hard to know what's actually uh, going on and how far uh, the progress. So it's kind of still in a trial stage, Tyrannos. Um. I assume so, but my knowledge is the same as your knowledge. I, I, haven't, uh, I don't have an internal knowledge about oh, that. Great, great. Thank you. Well, Gil, thank you so much for answering all our questions today. It's given us some great insights uh, to how you've constructed your aging panel there. Thank you so much. And uh, I'm looking forward to hear a cool uh, uh, entrepreneurs in your uh, future uh, podcast. <laughs> Will do. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. To get more of the Quantified Body, subscribe on iTunes or go to the website verquantifiedbody.net. That's T-H-E-Q-U-A-N-T-I-F-I-E-D-B-O-D-Y dot N-E-T. You can also follow us on Twitter and Facebook. On Twitter, we are at twitter.com slash quantifiedbody. And on Facebook, we are at facebook.com forward slash quantifiedbodypodcast. If you've got feedback or requests for the show, you can email them to me at damien at thequantifiedbody.net. That's 
D-A-M-I-E-N at thequantifiedbody.net. Thanks for joining the show this week. See you next time.